such a pain. That don't make that noise. It's not nice. I made it this morning really, really loudly. It's very awkward. Kind of like right now. And then as I paused, it got even more awkward. I should keep on talking. Um, so there's two types of stories when we get together at our staff meetings. Like Antley will say, uh, like we'll talk about all of our business, and then Antley will ask if anyone has any stories. And I'm not going to say, yeah, so we ask if any kind of stories. And one kind of story is basically when someone moves out and they do something powerful, like they just have a cool story about what God's done. And another story is about when opportunities have been missed. Um, to give you an example of when opportunities have been missed, I'm in the back doing sound, and someone comes up to me, and there's like, there's a lady in the back. Um, and I don't really know what she wants. So I go back there, and she's deaf. And she has a little piece of paper. And she says, I need money. So, you know, I'm, we pray for people here. And instead of thinking, man, I should pray for her, I should find someone to go do sound real fast, because this was during the music, I just thought, oh, I'll just give her all my money and send her on her way. That's an opportunity missed, to give you an example of how not to, uh, of what the bad stories are. So I was thinking, if the disciples were to, uh, were to show up at our staff meetings, and, you know, Antler were to say, does anyone have any stories? One of them would raise their hand and be like, yeah, I was out the other day. I saw some people uh, healing and praying for people in the name of Jesus, but they weren't members of RCC. So I told them to stop. Imagine that. Like people, you know, God only works through River City Church. I don't know why someone else would do that. And this would be... You know, an opportunity missed, the way that this, uh, this guy's aim was off. God is obviously losing churches all over the city, but, you know, this is the kind of thing that the disciples actually did in the Bible. And that's why they're some of my favorite characters, because they're constantly screwing things up. And my favorite by far is Peter, because he constantly opens his mouth when he shouldn't. Um, I see a great, deal of myself, a great deal of myself in that. You know, people usually have a process of thinking a thought, like it goes in their head, it rattles around for a minute, and then it comes out. I, on the other hand, usually say it something and then realize, oh, I should not have said that. Like there's this ready, fire, aim is how some of the guys on staff describe it. Where I just, there was this, we were at this Bible study one morning and I was, felt myself getting agitated and I felt like I wanted to argue about a point. So I started arguing and it was literally two or three minutes before I realized exactly what I wanted to argue about. I just knew that my mouth was going and I couldn't really stop it. And this kind of thing happens to me all the time. So Peter had the same problem. Um, and the story comes from Mark 8, where Jesus asked the disciples, he's like, so who do people say that I am? And the disciples were like, some people say you're John the Baptist, some people say you're Elijah, some Moses. And he, um, he's like, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up, and he says, uh, you're the Messiah. And it's easy for us to hear that, but just a little bit of background about what he meant when he was saying the Messiah was that you're the one we've been waiting for. You're this political figure that is going to come, and you're going to set... You're going to sit on the throne again, and we're going to rule the world. And as a matter of fact, if you're that guy and I'm one of your right-hand guys, that means I'm going to rule with you. So basically, you're the guy that's going to let me rule the world alongside you. So Peter was ready for this. Like, he knew that, and he was like, yeah, you're the Messiah. So that's what it meant when he said that. Like, there was a whole lot of baggage with that. And Peter was very happy about that part of it. So then Jesus sees, um, he sees that, oh, the disciples, like, they finally got it. So he starts to change your expectations a little bit, and he starts to say, well, you know, you're expecting it to look like this, but it's really going to look like this, and, uh, that I'm going to die. And then, you know, obviously, if, if I'm looking for a political hero, I'm not looking for someone that's going to come on the scene and die. So Peter immediately is like, wait a minute, and he takes Jesus aside, and I don't know what he says to Jesus, but whatever he says to Jesus it agitates him. And Jesus tells him, listen, you're thinking like the world, you're not thinking like God, and actually you're acting just like the enemy. 
And this was a ready-fire aim moment for Peter. He did just what I did. Like, he sees things, and he's expecting it to be this way. And Jesus starts to say, well, actually, it's going to be this way. And Peter's like, no, 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 you're all wrong. That's, you're, even though you're Jesus, you're wrong. And he argues with him. So his aim was wrong because he was not listening to God, but he was listening to what he thought was going to be right. He was listening to man. The second story, a little while later, is um, Peter has had time to go back and he's realized, you know what, Jesus, you were right. You are going to die. I'm fine with that. I don't know what all it's going to look like, but, you know, I'm with you. I'm going to be with you till the end. I'm your right-hand guy. I'm going down with the ship. So um, Jesus has Passover with them, and then he takes them out and they go for a little walk. And then Jesus begins to tell them, listen, none of you guys are going to be with me when it matters most. You're all going to abandon me. And Peter, once again, ready, fire, aim. It's like, no way, it's not going to happen. Even if everyone else falls away, not a chance in the world that I'm going to do it. So then Jesus proceeds to tell him exactly how and when Peter is going to fall away. And Peter totally foregoes aiming at this point and argues with Jesus just more and more. And this is what we do so much. Like we operate out of our own power instead of seeing what God has to teach us. So in, instead of Peter being like, yeah, maybe, maybe you are right. You know, how, how can I fit into this story that you're telling? Peter's like, no, 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 no. And even though Peter motiv- Peter's motivation wasn't bad, like Peter was thinking, no, I don't want you to die. I, I love you. And no, I don't want to betray you. Like I would never do that. I'm your friend. So even though his motivation was that he wanted to be true to Jesus, he still responded incorrectly because he wasn't listening to what God had to say. Now, had Peter taken the time to aim in this situation, he would have realized that it was Jesus talking, not someone who's wrong every now and then. Peter's known Jesus literally for a few years, and he's never been wrong. He's never said, well, I think this, and then you know, something else has happened. Or he's never you know, said, this is what you're thinking, and then been wrong. Like He's read their minds. He's been right. He always knows. Like, he, Jesus doesn't make mistakes when he's talking. But none of that mattered to Peter. All, even though all the evidence in the world pointed to Jesus knowing what he's talking about, Peter's like, eh, you're wrong. So I guess the struggle is how do we relate this today? Like obviously I can't walk up to Jesus and be like, Jesus, come here. You've got it all wrong. <clears throat> There's no way it's going to happen like that. I can't do that, but what I can do is I can try and control things. I can say on the one hand, like, I trust Jesus. You know, you are God. You know what you're doing. You, you don't make mistakes. But then when situations get a little bit dicier, when things get a little bit uncomfortable, you're like, actually, I'm going to take control of this one. I know you've done a good job over here, but I'm going to handle this one just for now. I'll give you control back a little bit later, but I'm going to take care of this one. And it's so easy for us to do that, even when God's shown us time and time again that he's faithful. Um, Jack would be the perfect example. Like, So the guy finds out he gets cancer. I would just be freaking out. You know, I'm going to die, yada, yada, yada. I got a bunch of kids. I have two kids. Jack has more kids than me. So he's thinking that. So, you know, and it's not necessarily bad for Jack to think, man, I want to live. I want to see my kids grow up. But, you, I mean, you heard him say it. What he wants is he wanted a deeper relationship. And this is an example of not being aimed over here, not being aimed by what Jack thinks is right, but being aimed by what God wants. And God always wants us to draw us into a deeper relationship with him. Um. It was the same thing with JB. Like, JB's thinking, over here, if I can have good sound, if I can have lights, then surely great things are going to happen when I worship. But it ends up, JB has a really simple set, and God shows up in power. So it's not about, you know, these expectations over here, where JB's like, this is how it's going to be right. But JB went, and he did what he was supposed to do, and God showed up, and he was faithful, because JB was, 
you know, he was being aimed by the Spirit instead of being aimed by his own expectations. It would be the same thing with Todd. Instead of Todd, you know, freaking out and thinking that I'm going to have to meet my own needs or that God doesn't know at all what I want. Because, honestly, like if my wife was severely sick for six months, I would be thinking, there's no way God knows how tough this is. I'm taking control back. I'm going to get things under control. But instead, Todd, he goes with it, and God meets his needs, and God speaks to him, and God ministers to him. So all of these situations had the potential to be a ready, fire, aim moment, had the potential to be, here's a situation, I'm going to take control of it, I'm going to go over there, and suddenly you're off. A little while later, you're like, oh, man, I shouldn't have went over there, I shouldn't have done that, like an old crap kind of moment. I may have sworn a time or two in my past talks, and I smiled because I didn't screw up. So uh, oftentimes it's like, this is what I think is best on the one hand, and we have, this is what God thinks is best on the other hand. And what we're allowing to do is we're allowing the world to set our aim instead of God setting it. And what this really involves is that it involves dying to ourselves. It involves saying, you know what, God, even though this seems right and it feels right and it even looks right, I'm going to trust what you're saying. And I'm going to go over here with you. So those are two stories about how Peter had ready, fire, aim moments. He totally screwed things up, and we can all do the same thing. I do it all the time. If you don't believe me, ask anyone that works remotely with me. The third story um, finds Peter in Acts. Now this is his ready, aim, fire moment. This is when he gets it right. It's been a few months since Jesus has died. It's been a few months since Peter denied Jesus and ran away and a few months also since Pentecost. Now, what had happened at Pentecost, just quickly, is Jesus had said to Peter, wait, that's all I want you to do, just go there and wait for me. So Peter doesn't. He doesn't think, well, they just killed Jesus, maybe it's not a good time for me to be in Jerusalem, maybe I should go somewhere else and wait. Or Galilee, whatever they were waiting. Um, but so what he does is he waits, he listens to Jesus, and then he's, you know, he's, he has a powerful encounter with the Spirit as a result of listening. So instead of doing what he wanted on this hand, he did exactly what Jesus wanted, and he was transformed because of it. He was never the same. His relationship and intimate times with Jesus over here, and then his experience with God over here, this experience. So, you know, Peter had all this knowledge over here. Like he knew who Jesus was, he had been around him, he had seen all of these miracles. But it really didn't help because he constantly had a ready fire aim. Like he constantly shot off at the mouth and then ran away like scared. So he finally listens and he has this experience and it gives him the ability to have this moment where like his view and then God's view, they come together and he finally has the correct aim. And this happens right after this. He stands up and he boldly preaches like, and he, he does it back down. So what we do is we see him walking into the temple with John. And the temple is obviously where Jesus made pissed off quite a few people. And what we see next, I didn't say anything, don't laugh. It's, um, what we see next is a stark contrast to the Peter from just a few months before, from the guy who liked to shoot off at the mouth and then leave. Knowing that, so Peter's walking up to the temple knowing that the same people that are all around him are the same people that had been there when Jesus had been there. They had got pissed off at Jesus and that they had actually killed him. These are also the same people that had said to Peter on that night, like, do you know Jesus? And Peter was like, no, 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 there's no way I know him. Like, I have nothing to do with him. So these are the same people that Peter had denied Jesus in front of. And also knowing that Jesus has already said to Peter, yeah, you're going to die. Just like I died is how you're going to die. It's going to happen. So Peter has all that knowledge in the back of his mind, knowing that as he walks up to the temple, you know, this could be it. This could be the last day of my life. 
I could get killed today. Jesus is obviously right all the time. I'm fully aware of that now. Then he told me that I'm going to die. So this could be it. So Peter sees a cripple sitting outside the temple. And Peter walks up and he heals him. Just, just like that. Just like he, Jesus had done so many times and made so many people angry in the past. He then proceeds to do exactly what he had not done the night that Jesus had died. So instead of seeing a situation that could be potentially bad, like because he heals this guy and the guy gets up and it brings all kinds of attention and the guy's running around yelling and it you know brings all sort of attention on him. So instead of saying, you know, actually I had nothing to do with that. It's a fluke that the guy was healed. Praise God. You know, like look what he did. Instead of saying that, you know, he, he boldly preaches to these guys and he's like, yeah, the same God that did this healing is the one that you guys killed a little while back. And he's the one that, you know, your fathers had said they had been waiting on. He was the Messiah. He was the one. And you killed him, and you screwed it up. And that you need to repent. So this is what Peter had said. So that, I mean, that's such a stark contrast from, no, I don't know who Jesus is, to, yeah, you killed him, and you were wrong. So Peter was arrested, he was put in jail, and he was put on trial. So, you know, this, you can see the situation getting worse. You can see Peter being like, oh, they took Jesus, they put him on trial, and then they killed him. I know what's going to happen. I know this is going to be the time. Because this would be the first time that Peter had been put on trial since Jesus had died. So you can just, I, can, I know I would be freaking out thinking, all right, this is it. I'm saying my goodbyes. I'm writing letters to whoever because they didn't have phones. So I'm doing all that, and I'm getting ready to die. And instead of doing that, Peter, you know, he stays happy. And when given the chance, he gives those, he gives the guys in the court the exact same spiel that he had given before, that you were the ones that killed Jesus and that you were wrong, and he was the one that you were supposedly waiting on, and now you need to repent. So he stood and he boldly spoke the truth, unlike he had ever done before, before Pentecost. It was such a, a contrast to the Peter of before. So it, this all begs the question, why didn't Peter behave like he had in the past? Why didn't he run away again? And it's because he had a life-changing experience. His knowledge had not changed. Peter hadn't been on any retreats or anything, or he hadn't read any books. And he was like, oh, that's it, I found the secret. But instead, Peter, he listened to Jesus, and he met the Spirit in a powerful way. And it totally changed who he was. He had spent time with the risen Jesus. And there is no shortcut for that. Peter knew that there was more to life than shooting off at the mouth and then running away. And he, so what he did is he sought this change. And he, he knew that he didn't want to be that guy. So he waited on it. And he waited. And he found it. So this is our pursuit. Our pursuit is going to be this balance that Peter found. It's going to be saying, you know, I know that over here I have all this experience and that I can see when things are going to be painful. But I know that over here that Jesus tells me to trust him and that he's trustworthy. And there's this, there's this tension in between them. And, you know, the right place to be is aimed in the middle to where, you know, God uses the experiences that you have, but he also, he's the one aiming you. So I suspect that most of us are here tonight because we're ready to be fired, like we're ready to be used by God. But the question is, where is our aim? Like, are we thinking, well, maybe I want to be used this way, God. And this is exactly how I want it to look. Like, I want there to be lights and sound. And that's what I'm going to be used. Or are you ready to say, you know what, God, I'm just going to go and do whatever. And you show up if you want to. So I think that's the invitation for us, is to invite God to bring the balance. There's nothing we can do other than waiting on God to bring this balance. And not, it's not like you can learn just a little bit more and it'll bring it. But it's a matter of waiting and spending time with Jesus. So maybe tonight God wants to re-aim some of us, um, particularly with this uh, the thing that we do with the least, the last, and the lost, and this ministry to the poor that we have. At River City Church, we do believe that this is a central part 
of Christianity. Like, we believe this is as good as it gets, is we're ministering to the least, the last, and the lost. It's not an option. It's not something that we can do on the weekends, maybe. Or, you know, you can do it here. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I live in whatever side of town I live on. It's not North Riverside. And I go there on Saturday. Sometimes I even take food there during the week. Like, you know, I'm doing quite a bit. I am really reaching the least, the last, and the lost. And that's how you view it. But maybe God is saying, you know what? Maybe I want you to move to North Riverside. Maybe I want you to buy a house in the middle of it. And I'm not saying that's what any of us need to do. I'm not saying it's not what we need to do. But what I'm saying is that there's this tension in between what we view and what God wants us to do. And the only way to find the balance is to wait on God and to listen. Let's stand. Jesus promised that, um, that after Jesus left, that the Father was going to send the Helper, and the Helper was going to teach all things and bring all things that he had said to their remembrance. So this is what we're going to ask tonight. We're going to ask that God would come and teach us now, that he would come and reveal to us exactly what we need to know, that he would give us the knowledge that we need, and he would give us this experience with him, but also that he would you know, use this experience that we have and this, this viewpoint that we have. Let's pray.